This episode of the Ottawa Entrepreneurs Podcast is brought to you by Extension Marketing. Extension Marketing acts as your virtual marketing department, designing and implementing cost-effective marketing strategies to grow your business. Email them at workshop at extensionmarketing.com to book your free one-hour marketing consultation to grow your business. On this episode, I speak with the founder of Green Unlimited. The company was formed in 1986, and he shares over 30 years of lessons he has learned along the way. I hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for coming on the show, Chris. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, for those listeners that don't uh, not have heard of you or of your company, can you tell us a bit about yourself, please? company is called Green Unlimited and uh, started back in 1986, so quite a while ago. And uh, we look after lawn care in Ottawa. We do irrigation design and install, and we do structural pest control as well. 86, congratulations. That's a a long time to be in business for yourself. Yeah, a little survivor award or (laughs) insanity award. I'm not sure which yet. (laughs) What what made you get into business for yourself in the first place? Oh, that's a funny story. I um, I moved up here in '86 from Halifax, and uh, I moved up here because I was driving into work, or sorry, driving into school, and I was going to write a histology exam at St. Mary's, and it was a big snowstorm, and I'm driving along, and I smashed up my dad's car, and we didn't have any collision on it, so. He was paying for that car for a couple years after it didn't even exist. So I thought it's probably a pretty good time to get out of town. So I <laughs> came up to Ottawa and I moved into a, a friend that I grew up with. His family was up here. I moved into their uh, laundry room and uh, started uh, started looking for work. And uh, worked at a pool supply and manufacturing company all summer. And then when they laid me off at the end of the summer, went to a buddy's house, had a few beers for the weekend, got the paper out the next day, and there was a lawn care ad. So I uh, was studied botany and zoology in school, so I thought, hey, maybe it'd, maybe it'd be a good fit. I applied, got the job. I worked there for eight years, and uh, at the eight-year point, I was getting a little tired of the way they ran things because they were always asking us to promised the world all winter long for all the client Mm -hmm. renewals. But then in the summertime, they wouldn't give us the tools to deliver all those promises. So we were always the ones stuck in the middle on that, promising things and then never being able to deliver. So I thought, you know what, I can do this better on my own. So I cut ties with them and just started my own company. Wow. So the eight years that you were there, were you moving up in the ranks uh, within that company? or I was. Uh, that's another funny story. You hit the funny stories. Um, so I was doing very well there. I was like their top production guy. I was their top salesman. I was written up in their newsletter. And back then that company was throughout North America. So I was, I was getting these, um, these accolades all the time and they were writing me up in their little monthly or quarterly newsletter of these techniques I had to create all these sales. So I was I was doing very well, and then there there was a time when they decided that they had to do this big restructure. So what they did was they hired this outside company to come in and rate all the staff, and they and they just rated them based on like a snapshot at that exact time, and and then from that rating they would they got rid of like half the staff, mm-hmm. and uh, you know so there were some guys there a buddy of mine. Paul, he was there five years at that time, and he got let go. And there was a new girl there 
uh, eight months or six months, and she kept her job. And that really bothered me because, you know, they didn't move Paul through some kind of a, you know, retraining or disciplinary or any kind of type of system. They just sort of spun the wheel, gave him a rating and said, see you later, you don't fit anymore. Well, what was the logic behind doing that, do you know? I don't know. I, I wasn't at that level within the management to figure that out. But, you know, I kind of say what's on my mind, you know, lack a few filters, <laughs> as my wife says. So I, I called the manager on it in a big meeting uh, right after that happened. And I kind of said it was a cop-out, you know. I, I didn't like it. I wasn't happy with it whatsoever. And I felt like uh, they were um, going with an easy route to get to get this done. And I said, that's not the right way to treat people. And I think it embarrassed the branch manager in front of everybody. And so a couple months later, they were hiring for field managers for for the upcoming season. And I would have been one of the guys, you know, like I was that well positioned there. And I didn't get that. Other people that were hired like a year after I did ended up getting those jobs. And so, uh, you know, the writing was on the wall that, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. this wasn't my fit anymore. Uh, but, you know, I never dropped my my de my demand of myself for the quality that I do. I just realized that it was time for me to go somewhere else. So wow. that's how I ended up starting my own company and, and getting at a getting out of that company. And when you started on your own, Chris, was it literally like you in a truck or did you have a team already or can kind of take our listeners through that, that, oh, that, that progression? Another weird story. Yeah. So, so when I quit, um, um, I quit and I started a company called Green Acres and I had two other partners and one was another guy that I worked with uh, in the lawn care business. And the other guy was a friend of my wife's from Montreal who worked in the printing department at Sun Life. So the three of us got together and started working. And that first year, um, it started out a little rocky at the start because the guy who knew as much technically as I did was very lazy and didn't want to do anything. And the guy from Sun Life who knew nothing was brimming with enthusiasm. So he was like, got to rein this guy <laughs> is that, in. Is that because he knew nothing? Is that why he was No, that's his personality. Oh, okay. He's a very great guy. So he was really uh, super enthusiastic. I had to kind of rein him in and guide him. And the other guy, we were like prodding all the time to do stuff. And he had this, I'm an owner attitude. Well, owners work harder than everybody else, right? So, so um we started the year that way and then I realized after that year that it wasn't going to work and I needed to just sort of pull away from them and just fly solo. And so that's what I did after one year with those guys. I, I dissolved that, I, like kind of nipping it in a bud, don't get in too deep. And then I, I went on my own. Do you mind me asking how did the other two uh, respond to that? Um, they wanted me to stay a lot, you know, and I can understand why because all that first summer, those guys would show up to work and they'd be like, Chris, what are we doing today? And I'm like, man, I want to come in some days and ask that question, right? Yeah, but I never yeah. got to ask that question. You know, I was the leader and they were more like employees than they were like partners. So I just, it just didn't sit well with me. And I just realized, you know, I needed to, you know, to break away and to 
just stand on my own two feet. Was there a lesson or two learned there you could pass on to our listeners? Um, partnerships are very tough, and know know your partners very well. You know, it's a uh, it's something that I learned in uh, in in like real estate's another little thing I do on the side, and and uh, I've had partners in real estate, and I've learned um, through um, some mentorships and things like that about about developing real estate projects and things like that. And they teach you everything, all this due diligence. But the one thing they never taught us was do due diligence not just on the property and the neighborhood and the economy and the economics and everything like that around it. You got to do due diligence on all your power team, your partner, your your realtor, your property manager. So it's just one of those things I learned. You got to do your due diligence at many, many different levels. Years ago, I had a partnership back when I was in my mid-20s. <clears throat> and all the advice back then was make sure each partner has their own uh, area that they're, they have final say on. Yeah. And that's worked well or sounds good in theory. In practice, it's a little bit different. Yeah, because even though you know you and I are entering a new partnership, and you say, "Okay, Pat, I'm going to let you sign on all the checks." Yeah, you're going to be looking over my shoulder at some point, saying, "Why are you signing that check or that check?" So, I don't know if there's a perfect system for partnerships, and this is a common theme on our show um, because there are some successful partnerships. Absolutely, uh, yeah. People yeah. could Jim Treliving from Boston Pizza. I mean, a lot of people don't realize he has a full partner. They've been together for I think it's 40 years. So there's a partnership that works. It's almost an interesting study onto itself to see what would work and what wouldn't work in a partnership. So after that partnership dissolved, were you determined then that you're just going to go solo and, and not look back? Was that kind of your next step? Yeah, well, <clears throat> excuse me. It's funny because at that point I said I'll never be a, have a partner again because I didn't want to have to manage a business and manage a partner as well. And so I, I went solo for a long time, and my advice to everybody at that time was, like, don't get in a partnership, you know, stand on your own two feet. Um, all that being said, you know, 20 years later or whatever it is, here I am. I'm in a partnership with another guy and uh, for uh, some real estate that we're doing here in Ottawa, some student housing. And he's a great partner because he has his expertise side, and I have my expertise side. And so we definitely divide things up and let each other look after it. And we don't, we, we trust each other. You know, we do, you know, sort of have our to-do lists and our checklists. And those to-do lists and checklists become our agenda for the following week so that we can just go over them to make sure things are getting done and help each other out if one's behind or what have you. Because it is sort of part-time. It's not our full-time stuff. Mm -hmm. But it, it's nice because... I can rely on him sometimes to do things and I can just fully step back. And when you run your own business, you're you're running everything as a as an individual and the, everything you're accountable for every part of it. So it's hard to get that break. I think that's probably why I like to do some acting sometimes because <laughs> right. I'm just one little part, you know, I'm not running that whole machine and it feels good to sometimes not have to be at the very top, the the buck stops here guy, you know. So, you know, uh, jumping off on that point, so one of the challenges I think that most entrepreneurs face is how do they make good use of their time? Do you have any tips or tricks you want to uh, share with our listeners of things you've learned over the years that uh, in order to spend a bit more time working on instead of in the business that 
that you do? Um, actually, I'm really getting to the stage now where I'm working on my business, not in it. And uh, for a long time, I was in my business. It was really just uh, at that size where I basically had a job that no one could fire me on, you know? <laughs> so it was kind of nice that way, right? But right. eventually, you know, I started looking a little farther. Well, I've always looked a little farther forward, but in terms of what I was putting into the business, I had to look a little farther forward. And I started realizing that, you know, physically you can't keep doing the, uh, the job. You know, you're going to get slower. You know, you know, when I was 20 and I hurt my shoulder, I'd go to bed, I'd get up. My shoulder would be great again. <laughs> Not anymore. Now I hurt my shoulder. I go to bed, and two weeks later, I'm still thinking, "Man, when's this going to go away?" Right. So you know, you get older, and, and and you can't put out like you used to be able to put out. So I started thinking, like, I, I need to develop systems to get, um, you know, other people doing the work for me, and me sort of guiding the ship. And one of the things I realized is that we need to get coaches to help guide us through those steps because we're not all uh, experts at that level. Like usually when you start a business, you start a business because you love doing that work. If Whether you're a carpenter or you're a lawn guy and you're, you love making grass green and, and that, that's why you start. Well, it doesn't take very long till that's the least amount of what you do each day is mm -hmm. making what you started this business for. Right. And so when that happens, you got to realize that you should bring somebody else in to help guide you and coach you. And, you know, some people think, oh, I don't need a coach and all that kind of stuff. I'm thinking to myself, well, like the best golfers in the world have coaches. So why do you think you don't need one? You know what I mean? Like yeah. you really do need coaching. But, but isn't that part of the stubbornness of the entrepreneur by their nature? I mean, yeah. I, I don't know this for sure. I've never never done an exact study, but I've talked to enough entrepreneurs over the years, and I'm one as well. And I think there's there's something about us that we're. we're would you say stubborn is the right word? I think stubborn. You could run with control freak a little bit yeah, as well. Yeah. You know, like you, you. The reason you made it as far as you did is because you had your your eye on everything. And you, you made the mistakes, and now you've learned how to not make those mistakes. So you want to be on top of all those because those little mistakes become costly. And so you, you, you try to control everything. And the, one of the hardest parts about making it to another level is to be able to back off mm -hmm. and to be able to give that responsibility to somebody else and to be able to hold them accountable to it, but at the same time, you know, you got to let them make their mistakes because that's how you got where you are because yeah. you made some mistakes. Like you didn't get good because you woke up good. Yeah. You got good because you made a whole bunch of mistakes and you learned from them. Right? But, but I find it interesting though. One of the things that makes entrepreneurs successful, and I agree with you, is stubbornness, <clears throat> excuse me, being a bit of a control freak. But it's also that very same thing that if we're ever going to scale our businesses that we have to learn to let go of. Yeah, and I think the businesses that don't scale are the ones that are run by owners that can't let go of that. Does that does that make sense to you? It does. Yeah, and I think a lot of a lot of uh, business owners, like you, when you you've talked to more than I have, but I talk to a lot of them, and and they'll tell you, uh, you know, well, I tried to do it, and I had a bunch of employees, and I wasn't making as much money as I was when I was just doing it myself. So they back off from that, right? And it's because 
they don't understand how to get beyond that. That's where the coaching comes in to help them get beyond that. Because they, they try to let go. They try to get people to do it. It doesn't go so well at first. And so they just pull back in. And that's then they're the one-man show and they're happy with that. And I think, you know, well, some people, that's all they really want. But I think most people try, realize they can't get past it. Don't realize what doors they need to open to move forward from that. And then they, they back off and just stay small. This episode of the Ottawa Entrepreneurs Podcast is brought to you by Extension Marketing. Extension Marketing acts as your virtual marketing department, designing and implementing cost-effective marketing strategies to grow your business. Email them at workshop at extensionmarketing.com to procure free one-hour marketing consultation to grow your business. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think happens a so, lot of So times. did, Chris, did a coach lead you to that conclusion? Or is it something you read that you said, oh, geez, in order for me to grow my business, I've got to get a coach? Like, which came first? I do a lot of like thinking when I drive around, and and I think a lot of it comes to me uh, sort of in small little pieces. No one, no one ever told me I, I need a coach to do it. I just look at other people in the industry, and I see them bigger, and I realize, and I think to myself, like, how are they doing it? Because as I try to get bigger, um, I'm at that. Well, I, I was at that weirder stage where. As I tried to make my company do more revenue, I, I was like not, I was stretching myself thinner and thinner to do it. So I, I was like the grease in between all the cogs, you know, mm-hmm, I was like mm-hmm. the glue mm-hmm. in between all the cogs trying to make it all happen. And I needed to become outside that and put another cog in place to link all the other cogs together. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, that middle management thing that you got to create. So did you create basically, Chris, like a, a number two? Is that what you did? Like a, did you hire someone senior that could handle the the staff and, and allow you to spend more time, you know, thinking about the business and working on it? Yeah, but I did that. It was a, it was a weird thing too because at first I kept looking for a guy like me and – and <laughs> that's that, probably that, a big mistake, right? Yeah, that was a big, big mistake <laughs> trying to find someone like me. And so I needed to find someone that would be comfortable at being a number two. I don't think I'm good at being a number two. And so I'm definitely not good at being a number two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so I needed I was trying to find these other number ones that I could that would be willing to be there, but they 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 come and go very quickly. And you can't rein them in because they they are number one. They want to be number one. Yeah. yeah, right, right. So you need to find the person that is a number two. I remember one time I, I was uh, interviewing for um, an office manager, and uh, we had this whole series of questions that we asked. And my wife had a few funny ones in there, like, are you a morning person and stuff like that. Uh, but one of them I had was, would you consider yourself a competitive person or a supportive person? And for years, I looked for that competitive person. I wanted someone that was hungry, that didn't want to be, you know, middle of the pack. I wanted someone right. that was always like, well, if you did 10, I'm doing 11, you know, like one of those guys. Yeah. And I hired somebody and she told me she was very supportive and she wasn't competitive. And it was crunch time in the spring and I'm like, ah, whatever, I'll hire you anyway, you know. She ended up being the best office manager I ever had, and it was because she was supportive, and that's what I needed. I just didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I just thought everybody should be competitive, and it would make me better. 
but it isn't. There's a lot of different personalities that you need to plug into the machine to make it work. And supportive is one. Uh, being very comfortable being a, a strong number two is one. You know, those are the types of things. But it's interesting because you mentioned, you know, you're already competitive if you're the lead, I assuming. I assume, I assume you are. Oh, we, yeah. just, we just met, but, you you know, a typical yeah. entrepreneur is pretty competitive. Um, so if you already have that, it seems obvious when you say it. Uh, or sorry, when you're thinking it through, but it does, really doesn't hit you until you actually hear somebody say it. But that makes perfect sense to me now that you've said it. Yeah. That yeah, yeah. If, you're, if you're the entrepreneur, you're a competitive person by nature, and you're the visionary, you don't need two of those. No. Otherwise, you've got a partnership on your hands again. That's right. right. Yeah. You need someone that's actually going to support and do the things that you want to, uh, to get done and implement it. Because it's one thing I find with entrepreneurs is we tend to be uh, – uh, I don't want to say ADD, but you know what I mean? We do have a bit of that tendency that what's the next thing coming our way. In the meantime, you've put something in place already. You need someone to actually take that and make it happen. That's right. Yeah. 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 Like we're, we're more like idea guys. We're practically useless without the <laughs> without the. Well, let's not get carried away. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you need the you need the idea guys, but an idea that's not acted upon is useless. So you need the idea guy and you need the doer guys, right? Right. You know. Right. And sometimes it's easy to 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 not give enough credit to the doer guys yeah. because they are actually the guys getting it done. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And the, the the idea guys are the visionaries. Yeah. And you need that to guide the ship. Mhm. Mm but you need someone to steer the ship and to work the rudder and to load the ship and make sure all the other stuff is operating on that ship properly. Do you find, Chris, that most entrepreneurs, <clears throat> they're, they're leaders, yes, but they may not be good managers. That, and mm. I, I'm, I, I, I've noticed that. Yeah. That they have this vision, they're strong, and, and yeah. they've got a good team under them, but they don't recognize them enough or they don't do enough things for them because they're just moving yeah. on to the next idea. No, it's – you're – Nailed it right on the head there. Absolutely. I, yeah. I feel that 100%. And I think it's a big mistake. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, you know, a year or two is going to go by. They're going to lose some staff. And they go, well, what happened? Yeah. Well, what happened is you never acknowledged them. You never bought them a lunch. You never yeah. took five minutes with them and asked them how they're doing personally or, you know, or exactly. if there's anything you can do to give them yeah. more support. And yeah. But it's that it's a really interesting dynamic. So if the entrepreneur knows that, if they're, you know, if they're self-aware enough to know that's not their strength, then at least put in a good number two that is good at that. Right. That's good at managing people. And yeah, and, fi and find and and it's great to sort of be um, reflective on your own skill set. And when you're looking for that number two, you don't want to match yourself. You want to fill in the gaps, right? Right. Right. You want you know if I'm weak at that type of management level, get a number two that is good at that. Mm -hmm. You know, because you don't need to match your skill set. You need to you need to um, not enhance, but to support each other's, mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know. But you know, Chris, uh, when I when I when I'm coaching some entrepreneurs at times, and I'm trying to convince them to t take that step to that number two level, the pushback I always get is, "Well, I can't afford that," or "That's going to cost me X amount of dollars." Yeah. And my response is, you know, depending on their situation, sometimes that is in fact true. But in a lot of yeah. times, a lot of cases, listen, it's a bit of short-term pain for long-term gain. Did you find that with your business? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's been uh, something that's always, you know, sort of held me back a little bit because you, you know that's a what we're talking about here is uh, often a layer of management that does not bring revenue in. 
-hmm. So it's a full overhead level. And you know overhead can kill you. So you're always very aware of all the overhead that your business is taking on. So it, it's a scary little step. Yeah. But it does free you up to do the things that you do better. And once you have more time to do the things that you do better, your business will grow and absorb that easily. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it's a it's a scary, scary step for guys. Yeah. For entrepreneurs, yeah. We, we just to kind of quickly uh, change subjects here, uh, subject areas um, in the landscaping industry. Um, are you? I'm assuming you're not that uh, vulnerable to to technology and changes in technology. Or am I not understanding that correctly? I guess what I'm getting at is what changes have you seen in your industry since you started, and and what do you foresee coming uh, in the future? Um, well, the industry itself, at least in in the lawn care side, is becoming much more sophisticated, much more uh, competitive, and uh, very technologically driven. Hmm. Uh, now now my technicians, back in the day, you'd show up and you would write out the job you did, and you would tear off the stuff and put it in a mailbox, and, and then the guy would come home and read it, and then he would do whatever he had to do. Now my guys show up with a tablet, they punch everything in on the tablet, and they hit the button, and they're forced to do, it's great because they're forced to do the things I want them to do so they don't <laughs> miss stuff on the invoice anymore. <laughs> and it's legible, like, you know, like it's all typed in. But then the customer gets an email, and the email immediately goes to his phone usually. Oh, my lawn guy was just at my house, just did my work. Oh, great. Oh, look, he says I have uh, some uh, chinch bugs. Oh, click a button. Oh, look at that. It takes me right to the website where I can order that chinch bug application. So, you know, my techs go do their work, make their recommendations, and in the background, the sales are popping into the computer from the recommendation. So, yeah, definitely technology. Yeah. Yeah. Do you yeah. find a lot of people in your industry are resisting it? Like you, that's a you're in a very competitive space, the landscape industry. Right? I am. I, mean, it's, yeah. I don't know. Like I, I think there's, there's like a big gap between the guys that are like me that are embracing it and growing with it, and the guys that are staying the one man shows because right. it is expensive. So you do have to have a bit of economies of scale to support it, and then it pays for itself very very quickly. But mm -hmm. there's that again that overhead that you're going to incur first. And when you're a one-man show, man, when I was a one-man show, I could tell you every customer, I could tell you every amount of money each of them owed me. You know what I mean? I, I can't do that <laughs> I anymore. I bet you could. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I can't do that anymore. Yeah. And uh, the technology is what looks after that for us now, yeah. Okay. So two more questions and we're sure. almost, almost out of time. But uh, for those listeners that are thinking of starting a business, is there, I'm sure you could write a book on advice, but if you had to give them one or two kind of, you know, major go-to tips uh, on, on what to what to do or not to do? Hmm, that's a good question. I never really thought about it. Uh, the things I thought about for people starting their own business, um, if you asked me 10 years ago, I would have said, you have to start your own business. Like, you're crazy to work for somebody else. Five years ago, I would have said, you want to start your own business? What, are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm kind of back to, you should start your own business, but... You know, start coaching earlier. It's not that expensive, okay. and and it'll save you so much time and so many mistakes that you'll be able to grow quicker, grow smarter, target your client base better. And uh, that would be my one big tip. And the second big tip would be um, 
you know, get ready to put some long hours in. Like, don't even think about calculating how much money you get paid per hour for the first five years. Like, just yeah. forget it. Yeah. Because you'll be like, I'm going to working at McDonald's or something. You know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Make way more money there. Yeah, yeah. Know, or Timmy's or something. So, yeah, those are the kind of things. Like, get join uh, associations, get into peer groups, get coaching, and and get ready to to put your heart and soul in it, to mm -hmm. get it off the ground. Because mm -hmm. there's a reason a lot of guys fail within the first five years, and I think I understand now why. And I'll, it's, it's some of its work ethic, but a lot of it has to do with not understanding your expenses. And it takes you a few years to realize that you haven't been making money, and then you just people just walk away from it or just let it fold. So you got to understand your real expenses, and that's the kind of thing you get from guidance. Because normally you start a business because you love doing something, not because you know how to run a business. So get the help on the so on the other side of things. There's something magical about that five year mark. Um, yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've had that response that things get better in five years or you start making money. But it always seems it's never three, it's never four, it's never six. Yeah, there's something about yeah. that that five year stretch, and you're right. A lot of people don't make it to that five years, and I think. That's really unfortunate and sad because I, I think a lot of them are quite frankly on the cusp. Like yeah. they're almost you're almost there. That's don't, like that don't inches from gold, right? You know? Right. Yeah. 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 And, and then yeah. they just stop. Yeah. And you know you have to respect. You have to you know if someone doesn't want to continue on, you have to respect that. And yeah. you don't know what's going on in their lives. There could be a lot of reasons for it. But I find yeah. that there's something about if you can make it past the five year mark. Yeah. Odds are pretty good, and I don't know what the stats are. It'd be a good thing uh, for us to look up someday. But yeah. if you make it past that five years, yeah. I bet your odds increase uh, dramatically. Well, yeah, being around in 10, yeah. 15, and twenty years. Yeah, and and we all know that if you start your own business and work all alone, your chances of surviving those five years are lower than if you bought into a franchise. So why is buying into a franchise give you a better chance of success? You know, at making it to that five years, it's because of the guidance you get, and so the systems and the, the systems that are already right, there. So right. that's what that's what that coaching and that mentorship and those peer groups and that yeah. can give you. So that's yeah. why I'm pretty certain that that's that's where that people fall off the rails. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. So before we get into you know where listeners can find out more about you, Chris, um, do you are you involved in the community? Do, are you giving back uh, personally or through the business? I, I like to ask this question because I, I think a lot of times. Um, entrepreneurship it, it doesn't get enough credit entrepreneurs for the for the work that we do do in the community yeah. it seems to be part of our DNA a little bit so it's a chance yeah. for you to give a shout out to if you're working with a particular organization or uh, any message you want to uh, help to spread the word um, on well yeah we do a lot um, uh, we do it uh, you know it's kind of awkward asking but you know we don't do it for like the promotion of it but I mean like we I, we sent all the guys to uh, the cancer survivor park that was built yeah. here in Ottawa yeah. to help build it. Like we put some guys on that just to, and it made them feel really good mm -hmm. about what they what 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 part of the, what part of uh, or what company they were a part of. Um, and then my wife, I think it was twelve years ago now, she started uh, what's called the Day of Tribute. And so mm -hmm. at the end of every summer, we get all the landscape guys in the city, uh, like all our competition and our associates, and we get as many as we can and we pull them all together and we go to Beechwood and we spend the day uh, working on the um, 
war veterans section and the D&D section. And uh, it's, uh, we do it for free. Our suppliers give us all kinds of product. We show up with our staff and equipment. I shut my whole company down for the day. And even my office manager, who doesn't get out on the road much, yeah. she's out there with a rake and getting some work done and getting dirty and, and having some fun. And, and it gives us a chance to, to give something back to, um, to, the, to the, the men and women that gave us this life that we get to pursue our, our dreams in, right? So, so it, it sort of drops all the competition barriers. Everyone all of a sudden is a big team. Even though we're fighting for the same customer all summer long, right. now we're on the same team and we're giving back. And it, it, it's a really good feeling because, you know, you know, maybe these soldiers know or don't know that we're looking after them, but their families do. Yeah. When their families come and they see that, you know, there's a lot of uh, a love out there for the sacrifices that not only the soldiers made, but their families equally. Mm -hmm. So it, it was a big deal. And we started, or my wife started that. And we keep that going every year. And, uh, and sorry, it's called Day of Tribute. Day of Tribute. That's amazing. I never, yeah. I hadn't heard of it before. And no, what a yeah, great it's up gesture. at the Beechwood Cemetery, and that's the national. Uh, yeah, and, and, uh, yeah, cemetery. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, so uh, it, was, it makes us all feel good. My staff really, really love going. I mean, I love going, of course, but it, I, I was really surprised to see how they loved it, how they, how it made them feel so much better about about uh, what we do because we're bringing our skill set there and and it, and they have like a venue to sort of give as well so yeah it's really positive very yeah. nice congratulations that's a that's a great story no thank you um so as we as we end our time here where can listeners find out more about you and, and your company greenunlimited.com check it out yeah i nice. got a nice little website you can go and check out and it's got a lot of uh, information if you're just looking for information. And if you need us, you can get us through there as well. And uh, that's probably the best way. Is everything's online now. Of course. Yeah. I mean, we have an office. You can come by the office too. <laughs> we're on, we're on uh, Stevenage Drive. Okay. Yeah, you can pop in there. But you can just check us out on the website and go through there. And Great. Yeah. Thanks very much for taking the time to be on our show. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for Thanks. having me. Appreciate it.